0: All 193 countries of the United Nations have declared it a concern of all nations and the European Space Agency has made tackling it a key priority. Now ESA and the UN have joined forces to highlight this topic of global concern, space debris. I'm Rosa Jesse, Editor at ESA's Spacecraft Operations Centre in Germany and in this podcast series we'll speak to experts on space debris, space policy, space law and more. Each podcast episode comes with a corresponding infographic, beautifully illustrating the issues raised. Find them in the podcast notes at isa.int spacedebris space debris or at oosa.org. Episode 9, Sustainable Space, with Stan Lemons and Tanya Koyson.
1: Hi, I'm Stan Levens, I'm an uh, analyst, a Space Debris Mitigation Analyst for the European Space Agency and what that practically means is that I work on this boundary between technology development and assessment of how the space environment is in terms of uh, space debris and what are the the good countermeasures to put in place, are they achievable and, and do they have an effect essentially. That's my job in a nutshell.
2: Yeah, hi, uh, my name's Tanya Koysen, and I work for the Office for Outer Space Affairs, uh, which is a UN entity, and I work on committee policy and legal affairs, so I spend a lot of my time supporting states, doing international cooperation in outer space activities, and I um, have been the secretary of a working group devoted to uh, the long-term um uh, activities in outer space, long term sustainability of uh, outer space activities. So that's the direct connection to this topic. Hi both. Thanks for being here. Um, So to kick us
0: off, Stan, could you tell us what we mean when we talk about long term sustainability of space?
1: Yeah, with pleasure so there's a let's let's call it a quite remarkable change in the last couple of years or or even the last decade where our usage of outer space has become ever more uh, important essentially to the point that also more and more operators get closer and closer together so so we reach this point where the let's say habits operational process of one operator starts to influence those of others and if you come to think about it, this is very much um, yeah, similar to what is happening uh, on Earth when you are exploiting a research which, uh, resource, which can also be useful for somebody else. So we started slowly but surely to to recast the way uh, we think about the outer space environment in terms of not something which is there to to exploit, but also something which we have to be careful about how we how we use it. And then you very naturally come to the point of sustainability. Of course, sustainability is a a broad term, and there's quite a few details which we have to fill in to see how we can apply this to, to outer space.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. We think of space as being infinite, but actually these useful orbits that are close to Earth are now considered to be more of a natural resource, a limited natural resource, more along the lines of water or oil than, say, sunlight. Uh, And if we fill these orbits with debris, they will at some point become unusable. So Tanya, sustainability is something we're used to hearing about on Earth. So how
2: does sustainability in
0: space relate? (laughs)
2: Um, Yeah, sure. It's easy for me or easier for me to take a bit of a step back from the topic of outer space and uh, look a little bit about broader international efforts on sustainability. Because the UN as a whole focuses a lot on sustainability and sustainable development um, here on Earth. So, um, yeah, like a key year for this work was 2015, uh, when the countries that make up the UN, uh, they agreed on a 2030 agenda for sustainable development. Um, And that agenda, it has 17 sustainable development goals, Uh, And from that there is like 169 targets. So all of this is to focus effort um, of all governments on areas that are of critical importance for humanity, but also for the planet. um, So we reach some end game, I'll say by 2030. Uh, And the idea is that these ambitious and important goals and targets, they can really only uh, be reached if all stakeholders are working together and if they're making use of the right tools. And I would say that's where space applications and technologies can come in because um, space solutions sometimes can be real game changers, uh, whether it's for you know communication, positioning, navigation, any of these things that have become really you know, essential for daily life for most of us
0: yeah there's such a connection between what goes on in space that actually sustainability on earth also benefits hugely from ensuring that our activities in space can continue reliably so there are current trends in space that actually do challenge long-term sustainability stan could you highlight what these are and let us know a bit about how you're working on them
1: yep so Um, The challenge to long-term sustainability in outer space is essentially avoiding harmful interference. So you uh, know this concept also, for example, from telecommunication applications, where if you have two senders on the same frequency, it will um, interfere with each other. What is interfering with operational spacecraft and what is, uh, let's say, putting a mortgage on um, our sustainable use of outer space is the ever increasing amounts of space debris. Essentially when a spacecraft a launch vehicle satellite explodes or collides with one another, you create um, smaller fragments of debris, which in turn po- uh, pose a collision risk to, to others. And this, this risk is there because either we did not dispose our spacecraft after they're missing, or because they're operating very close uh, to each other. So from that point of view, the increased amount of, of space traffic, which we see whether it's because the satellites get smaller and more capable or because we're deploying them in uh, in the shape of large constellation is, is clearly one risk on, on the horizon, which we need to to mitigate. Com- combined with that, there have been quite a successful adoption of, of space debris mitigation guidelines or even requirements in the past um because the the field was also not well diverse. so now we have to move into uh, a a new age where there's an increased amount of actors in space essentially so we need to sustain our outreach to make sure that everybody plays with the same understanding about what the impact on the environment is and that all together creates rather uh, let's say a a complex web of uh, actors uh, missions and, and behaviors which need to be maintained and needs to be aligned in the same direction to, to ensure that we can keep on using space as we did before.
0: So more debris, more traffic, more space actors, as we refer to them. It's not just the US and Russia anymore. It's private companies, universities, and um, states all around the world. Um, and Tanya, what are some of these solutions to ensure that all of these new behaviors and trends in space don't mean risking sustainability.
2: Yeah, I I would say that there's no one single way to best address this wide challenge or broad challenge. Um, But there are, however, a lot of different things that can be done that will contribute to the sustainable use of space. Um, There are, for instance, legal policy and regulatory measures that can be taken. There is also scientific and technical research and development approaches. Uh, At the UN Office for Outer Space Affairs, our focus is primarily on supporting international cooperation and capacity building uh, with our overall aim, you know, to ensure equitable access to the benefits of space science, technology, and its applications, uh, really bridging the space divide. Uh, And we do this through things like conferences, workshops, fellowships, trainings, e-learning, and technical and legal advisory services. Uh, We map space solutions, and we try and match providers with those uh, that have a particular development need. And then we also provide secretariat support to related ongoing multilateral discussions on space sustainability.
1: I'm happy you put it this way because uh, these top level objectives they they nicely translate to what we also have to do on on the technical domain. If you say capacity building, if, if you say making sure that everybody understands the the same needs of the the environment or the sustainable needs, we come into applications where for example, our agency takes uh, takes a leading role, for example, in making sure that the, the behavior of other spacecraft in terms of how they use the space environment, how sustainable they use it, is reported upon and feeds back to also policy makers to see if this data is actionable. Purely practical operating in a, let's say, a multinational environment also means sure that you have the same understanding of, of what other operators are doing. So for example, working on automated collision avoidance to, to make sure that, uh, that that operators have the same understanding. And later on, if we want to make sure that um, the environment remains preserved for future generations, you come into the topic um, of uh, active debris removal or, for example, ESA would like to launch, uh, let's say, the Clear Space 1 mission to to demonstrate that also this concept is is feasible. So I think there's quite a bit of alignment on these points here.
2: Um, I could just take a minute maybe to... uh whether it's reiterating or telling someone for the first time about this register it might be a good time to uh, give some sort of updated statistics because they do very much support um, support the the statement we keep saying that you know there's increasing numbers of space actors whether they're states international organizations or you know a growing number of private entities all all launching objects into space. And my colleague who works most directly on the register has let me know that uh, for 2020, so we're talking now in November, so the year is not yet complete, but there's been 1,200 satellites, probes, cargo and crewed spacecrafts that have been launched. And that's just to compare with... uh, 200 in 2015, or 130 in 2010. So you can see a a really large increase over the last 10, well, five or 10 years, depending on which comparison point. Uh, 2020, I mean, there's no indication that 2021 will be any slower. So it's definitely an upward trend there.
0: Yeah, the numbers are really amazing. It's wild to think that at some point we look set to launch more in a single year than we will have in all the years combined since we first launched a spacecraft in 1957. So yeah, it's clear why behaviours do need to change. But are they actually changing? Is all of this working? We at ESA publish a report every year on the space debris environment and how well space actors are following the rules. Stan, can you tell us a bit more about this?
1: So there's one clear message of this report, which nicely ties in with what Tanya said before. And that is that if we look at what we have to achieve for space sustainability, when we implement space debris mitigation requirements, these rules were all based on the understanding we had of the environment Uh, how it was back at the start of the millennium so about 20 20 years ago by now and extrapolated that type of behavior in the future now now we see that currently there are let's say encouraging upward trends. for example, the geostationary arc is is a good example of how debris mitigation should be, but the low Earth orbit clearly is not yet with way too many spacecraft left in orbit and, and not disposed. Mm-hmm. And we're way off the target which we need to to achieve now, if we also start changing the, the traffic, as we've been doing for the, the past two, three, three years significantly, then also these targets have to move. And this is where we have to make this, uh, this change in thinking. Previously, uh, space debris mitigation requirements were based on you as your mission, what you have to achieve as a target. Now, this mission becomes dependable with how many other spacecrafts are around you mm. because shared risk.
0: And the biggest difference in behaviour seems to depend on which orbit we're talking about. The geostationary orbit's about 36,000 kilometres from Earth, um, while the low Earth orbit can be as low as 500 kilometres altitude. And as you said, Stan, people seem to be following the rules more further away in geostationary orbit than closer to home
1: there's a clear reason for that the the reason is that the geostationary orbit is essentially a single orbit which uh, assures that the missions which are placed there are stable over a certain point on, on ground now everybody's interested in having this exact orbit for his or her application there and hence once the mission is over it's also in, in their best interest to properly dispose of spacecraft so you make room for the next one in a way that doesn't create debris we should think about moving this exactly same notion to other orbits around Earth in the sense from the moment you, you're you done with your mission, it should be safely taken away out of the environment because if you don't, a collision or a fragmentation event will essentially render these orbits not so attractive anymore due to the increased collision risk.
0: And I guess the fact that space has become quite profitable, there's a lot of motivation now to make sure you can keep using it and not completely, yeah, scupper your chances of, of getting back up there.
1: Certainly. I mean, if you think about the deployment of a large constellation, the focus on long-term sustainability is in the best interest of that constellation. Assume that you deploy thousands of satellites. If you do have a collision event in the orbit you're using, the first one who's negatively infected about all the debris that is created is the constellation opera- uh, or operator themselves. So there, there is um, some kind of, let's say, self-fulfilling need as well.
2: All of these topics are, I would say, very much uh, on the interests of states' minds, um so, in the the committee that I support, it's it's called the Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space, and it's uh, it's a UN committee. It has 95 states members, so it's quite a big committee. And there's also um, quite a lot of observer organizations that support its work, and uh, they've been considering various aspects of space sustainability or long-term sustainability of outer space, however you want to phrase it, uh, for quite a long time now. Um, Last year, there was, I would say, a a breakthrough in that they um, actually managed to adopt a a set of guidelines for the long-term sustainability of outer outer space activities, pardon me, and that, that was really a culmination of many years of intense consideration and negotiation by states, uh, both like established spacefaring nations with big space programs and emerging space nations that are really just sending their first satellite. And uh, it, it's, it's a unique intergovernmental conversation because it, it can be a little bit slow in the sense that. Maybe private uh, companies would want clear guidance for their outer space activities, their launches, to come very fast. But when you're trying to get consensus from 95 different states, um, the emphasis in the end is that they've all deeply engaged in the material and they do have an agreement because... Because we know outer space isn't owned by anyone, we all need to really work together. All the different entities need to be able to share information, share data, uh, and collaborate. Um, Which which we know we're still working on it. But this um, this political guidance that came out just last year it was also you know welcomed by the UN General Assembly. So all the all the countries that make up the UN welcome these guidelines. They're they're definitely Um, uh, what can I say a a landmark or a milestone in this uh, topic area and then of course another working group is going to continue work because there's still more to be done (laughs) and and the technical advances are so fast in the research and development I mean we need to keep up with that in in the policy and legal environment for sure
0: yeah it's an ongoing conversation well, this has been a really great dive into what sustainability means in space and for Earth. Um, and now, I'd like to ask you just to give a takeaway message from this topic. What's the one thing that you'd really like people to remember, um, Tanya?
2: Um, l- likely, the the big takeaway for me is that space activities really need to meet the generate or meet the needs of the present generation. Um, on like an equitable basis so everyone gets their needs met now but then also preserve outer space environment for future generations because we we know it's going to continue to be interlinked with our daily lives
1: for me the most important thing is that we should realize that the environment might look like a vast void but in in essence we have created a congested near-earth environment and the way we should think about the orbits we want to use for our missions or activities should be in this in the shape of a finite natural resource when we do that space sustainability has a has a natural let's say uh, practice associated with it and we can start implementing this as a way of, of treating our environment in, in such a way that we can indeed ensure that the right amount of space to be mitigation is applied and remediation in order to ensure this uh, preservation of this environment as uh, Tanya mentioned
0: Great. Uh, And is there anything else you'd like to add that we haven't touched on?
1: I'd like to stress that uh, this uh, long-term sustainability guidelines, as Tania mentioned as well, are a marvelous tool. It needs to be stressed that they can serve as putting all the noses in the right direction. And even though they are at a policy level, they don't prescribe what you have to do technically to, to achieve this sustainability. They form the clear path in which you can operate and hence at least go into that direction of how do we make sure that everybody on this planet who has to share the space environment can talk to each other and knows what to do. So I'm a big fan.
2: Excellent to hear.
0: (laughs) So thanks for listening. You can find out more about space debris and the work being done to tackle it at esaint forward slash space debris and at USA OOSA.org and follow the hashtags spacecare and space sustainability on Twitter to join the conversation.